I'm here with a spokesperson for Philip Morris Marlborough. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Uh, perhaps you could explain to me why the Mission Winnow branding has been removed from the Ferraris for the European section of this year's F1 Championship. I would have thought that that was obvious. Uh, is it because of restrictions on cigarette advertising in Europe? No, as far as I'm aware, that had nothing to do with it. Is it because it wasn't really giving positive PR? It was just annoying people, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> no comment. Well, perhaps you could explain the reason then. In truth, we pulled the advertising because nobody understood what the message of Mission Winnow actually was. What is it? Well, you're the journalist, you tell me. <laughs> no, no, no. What is it? I've no idea. And I'm the head of Philip Morris. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Alex Goy. Hi. He's Zog. Hello. She's Sarah Leach. Hello. And this is episode 418, which if it was a car, we were just discussing this before we started recording, would either be a BMW or a Rover. The BMW is slightly more appealing than the Rover, I would think. I think so. Yeah, but it's the 418 diesel, so... Yeah, eh. <laughs> diesel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pros and cons. You can have a BMW, but it has to be a diesel. Uh, yeah, and it has to be a yeah. really tiny, rubbished engine diesel at that. And if you can think of any other cars which are 418 nomenclature... Don't bother to write to us because it's too late. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, yeah, here we are. I don't know if you realise, but we do a new bit on the show now, which I call Bring and Begin. Bring and Begin, which is kind of like a show and tell thing, really, where each of us bring to our Skype meeting something which has been occupying our minds in the world of car and motorsport in the last week or so well since we last spoke two weeks ago i'm going to propose rebranding this section already yeah i think we should move on from bring and begin and go with arrive and drive sticking labels on these sections let's get a proper motoring themed title for this bit run what you brung also good run what you brung i'm gonna go with arrive and drive for this episode other nominations for what we should call it from you guys please all of these can have a theme tune to the tune of blankety blank though they can are we allowed to sing the theme tune to blankety blank probably not well even if we're not what we can mention however that the wonderful matt berry who everybody will know whether they recognize his face no he's not you know you will know from the it crowd from his many voiceovers on adverts and star of toast of london he recorded an album not long ago of tv theme tunes yeah classic I've tv heard theme it. tunes it's great and as soon as i heard that i thought i bet the blankety blank theme's on there it, it, it is on and there. it is it is yeah. on there so if you want to hear Matt Berry doing the Blankety Blank theme tune. Check out his album of theme tunes. You will not be disappointed. And we can't sing them here for copyright reasons. But we can talk about cars and motorsport. What's been occupying your minds then, guys, for the arrive and drive bit? Sarah, I'm going to go with you. Ladies first. What's been occupying your brain? Funnily enough that you say ladies first, 
we're going to talk about the W series, uh-huh. which is the ladies series, which will be the slot ahead of the Formula One for the next race in Austria, the Red Bull Ring. So it kicks off on the 25th to the 26th of June. It's an eight part race series for the up and coming women of motorsport. So that's very exciting and it's in its second season now. The second season was meant to be last year. Unfortunately, with COVID, that didn't happen. So this year is its second year and Jamie Chadwick, she won the inaugural year. So she's the reigning champion and she's back again. And this year they're using F3 cars. I have a slight problem with W Series and it's only in the cars because the cars are actually Formula 3 chassis, aren't they? Made by Tatus. Tattoos, that's correct. It's the T318 car. That's it, yeah. Which is fine. Nothing wrong with the car. I have a problem with the name because Tattoos is the Welsh word for potatoes. Really? (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. I cannot see that car without the word potato going. And it's not the most dynamic name for a car, is it? What do you drive? Drive a potato. (laughs) (laughs) But the series, it's got a prestige slot now. It really does. As the opening act for Formula One. And the way that they delegate who the opening act for Formula One is at the moment has changed recently because we've had a couple of races with Formula Three as the opening act. Then it's going to be Formula Two. Then it'll be Formula Two and W Series. It's kind of constantly switching and changing to keep you on your toes. But did you guys, Alex or Zog, did either of you two watch any W series two years ago when it happened? Be honest. Well, I watched on the first series and the races I saw were pretty good. Yep. I thought they seemed to me like this series got off to a decently respectable start. A difficult first series, as it can often be for a lot of motor racing series. W series seemed to have avoided that. It didn't entirely, to me, answer the question of whether the series really justified its existence. Obviously, you can't do that in just one year. But there is this issue of, you know, motorsport is in this interesting position of, on the one hand, it is one of the few sports where men and women can genuinely compete on a level playing field. Yeah. You get the same equipment. Well, I, I some people might that. argue that there are some physical differences between the average man and average woman that might make a difference. It's not enough given the range of talents you have. But women are massively underrepresented in motorsport. So on the one hand, they, in theory, have equal opportunity and equal ability. In practice, have been massively set back in all kinds of ways. So a series for women is a decent way to try and address that imbalance. I do agree with you, Zog, but I think it's a really good series to make it known to girls in the sport, young women, that they can be motorsport drivers too. And it's a feeder system into the genres where it'll be females versus males. And just to make sure that young girls know that, hey, this is a sport that I can do too. Whereas I suppose when I was growing up, a lot of women just thought it was just a sport that only men could do. For men, so yeah, I think yeah. that's the difference. And also it's just a way of just getting more women in the sport, which is what is the ultimate goal. Even though I do agree with you, yes. There is no reason why they should make this a separate series. But I think maybe it's just a, a cultural thing and getting everybody's heads around it that actually this is a sport for girls too. And it's a really positive way of getting girls involved into it in a safe environment for them to then, you know, go on and get points towards their ultimate goal of being in the Formula One, for example. Mm. The way I see it is it's kind of like positive discrimination. You know, a few years ago when we all looked to look at a 
wider group of people to choose the person to do the gig from and that help underrepresented groups get representation w series is acting as a bit of positive discrimination a pioneer to get more women into the sport because yeah you've only got to look at jamie chadwick who is as good as any motor racing driver who won it in its first year to know that women can absolutely compete with blokes on an equal opportunity given enough opportunity forgive me if i'm repeating myself but the only reason we don't have as many women in motorsport as there are blokes is that more blokes tend to get into motorsport as kids than women do that is the reason that more men get into motorsport as kids is because all they see is men doing it yeah and it's dads going oh yeah. i used to love this i think that there's certainly a large part of it yeah if memory serves some of the attitudes from very public attitudes in Formula One high-level motorsport has been, well, obviously a woman could never compete. And that sort of backwards attitude is enough. If someone's watching with their family and then you get someone high up going, well, obviously a woman would never be able to do this. Would you want to enter that arena? Really? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah so me. the fact that this exists is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if it does set around proving that the people in Formula One and those levels of motorsport are very, very wrong and very, very stupid. Excellent. More of that, please. Yep. Well, as big motorsport fans, we'll be the first to defend the great women of motorsport who have competed on equal terms and thrashed many blokes. Michelle Mouton, Lella Lombardi, Elishka Junkova, Danica Patrick. So yeah, what a absolute. there are other names which escape me at this moment. Less so Davina Galitza, but bless her, she was a pioneer. We loved her. Yeah, Pat Moss, Sterling's sister. Oh, of course. No, she was fantastic. But for anyone that's not familiar with Michelle Mouton, if you've got a bit of interest in motorsport and you don't know the name Michelle Mouton, do a bit of research and find a couple of videos about her because she's a real titan of the sport yep. by any standards. So, Sarah, before we move on, who's going to win W Series this year? Go on. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Out of the 18 driver lineup, there is five women that are all from the United Kingdom. So the odds are that it could likely be a driver from the United Kingdom because there are more of them. That's interesting. I hadn't realised yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Call it bias. I don't know. Some people call it bias, the selection system. But, you know, there was one girl that has moved from W Series in the inaugural series, and she's now over with Extreme E, and she's doing really well. She was a rally driver to begin with. It was uh, Molly Taylor, that is. So Molly Taylor is an export from W Series, but she's moved over to successfully join Extreme E. And Jamie Chadwick, Sarah, she's an Extreme E as well. Oh, yeah. Moved over from uh, W Series. Yeah. But to tell you who's going to win, I don't know, but I'll say that it could be a driver from the UK, given there's more of them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to back Jamie Chadwick again, not just because she won it last time, but because I think she is actually a distant cousin of mine. No, really, 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 she is. Are we talking six degrees of separation, cousin, here? Or is she Welsh? She's not Welsh, but she's from <laughs> Gloucestershire. <laughs> well, that's, oh, yeah. that's remarkable, because in the Garethopedia... Yes, everyone who is Welsh is related. the only person to note who isn't Welsh, sorry. <laughs> she's from Cheltenham in Gloucestershire, which is where my maternal grandmother... Sorry, my paternal grandmother was born and her name was Eva Shadwick. So I'm yeah, figuring okay. the Shadwicks of Cheltenham 
uh, probably related. So she's probably my distant cousin. She's better looking than any member of my family, though. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> anyway, right. Uh, Alex, what's been occupying your brain, brother? My tiny brain space. Actually, in a change for me, it's something Formula One related. Ooh. Get out. What? Where? How? Who? Yeah. What? I've been driving a Formula One car, kind of. Kind of. Come on. Yeah. Okay, what's the kind of? The proviso? The kind of. As you are all well aware, Aston Martin has entered the Formula One circus and has provided both the medical car and the safety car. As part of this tie-in deal, new Aston Martin boss Tobias Merz has decided he wanted to do a sort of sharper vantage. And it's the Aston Martin Vantage F1 edition, and I've driven it and... As you're listening on Thursday, as we all listen uh, the day it comes out, the embargo lifted yesterday. I can tell you what it's like. Tell us, tell us, tell us. It's really good. (laughs) And you like an Aston Martin, and you have knowledge of an Aston Martin, because you own and drive an Aston Martin. But this is quite different to the car that you own and drive, isn't it? Yeah, this one's new and has a turbocharged motor. So this one has been given a going over by Aston's top bods. It's something that the new boss had a hand in. He wanted to make something sharper, more purposeful, and something that looked kind of like the safety car. So if you see the safety car, it's got a big splitter at the front, it's got a big wing, and it's got all that kind of cool stuff. The F1 edition has a big wing. It's not quite as besplittered because pedestrian impacts and stuff like that are important. You would just remove an ankle. Can I just compliment you on the use of be splittered? <laughs> that is a beautiful use of English language. Absolutely, Something else absolutely, you're applauding. Yeah, yeah. Well done. It's not quite as besplittered, but it's got a stiffer front end, improved steering, increased spring rates at the rear. It's got a bit more power, 535 horsepower, rather than the sniff over 500 that the regular car has. It'll still do 0-62 in the same 3.6 seconds, but its top speed is 195, so it just tickles the bottom of 200 miles an hour, which is quick. It is a very, very, very quick car. You know what? It's absolutely stonking, because it's a modern car. It's, It's a driving mode for everyone to suit every player. No longer is the day where you buy the sports car and it feels like a sports car all the time. You can have a comfortable mode and you can have a track mode and yeah. everything in between. So this, you can make the dampers. It's either sport, sport plus or track and the powertrain sport, sport plus or track. When you're driving around British country roads in everything in sport mode, it's just a really pleasant driving experience. Okay. When it gets rough, you're going to have a bad time because British B-roads are rubbish and in anything other than either a Range Rover or a Rolls, you're in trouble. Because it's a low, stiff sports car, you're going to feel it. But the power delivery, even with the powertrain that it's most restrained, if you pin it, it's just savage. And that V8, they've managed to give it this beautiful gurgly noise. It's so angry and so shouty. Like You start it up and it's like V8 dirty gurgle and then you drive along smoothly and it's got a wonderful timbre to it it's nice and flowing and relaxed and just delicious and then you pin it and all of a sudden it starts screaming at you in the best possible way um now aston martin very trusting bunch so for this particular launch they got me up to the midlands and said right here's the car we've programmed a route into the nav they're expecting you at silverstone So I bimbled around and played with buttons and the best mode for the road is have the powertrain in Sport Plus because it makes everything just aggressive enough. 
but keep the suspension in its sort of standard softest setting. Yeah. And you get a lot of lovely movement with the car. You can feel it move around as you press on. You can play a little, shall we say. And then, yeah, I got to Silverstone. I got to Aston Martin's Stowe Circuit HQ. And they went, yeah, cool, track's yours. Do some laps, then go away. Nice. So... And even the same car with road tyres. Same car, same tyres. I had the car to myself, I had the track to myself, I had a bit of a play. In track mode, on track, that thing is stunning. Mm. So I think what you're saying is it is worthy of the F1 nomenclature in its name. Well, I've not driven an actual Formula One car, so I can't (laughs) really tell you what a Formula One car is like. What I would say is a lot of people will see this with a big wing and the big power output and think, oh, they're trying to take on a 911 GT3, which is kind of the car of the moment right now. The measure. Very stiff, basically a race car, quite hardcore, quite a savage thing by all accounts. This isn't that. This is more, and thankfully I'd written a review of it and then interviewed Matt Becker, the man at the top of the engineering tree at Aston, and he said, oh, well, you know, it's 911 or Carrera to GT3. I went, oh, so you think it's a GT3? Went, no, 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 that's not really fair. Like, it's, it's more of a, a GTS, which is good because that's exactly what I'd written. It's got that kind of best of both where you can use it every day, but when you want to take it to a track, it can be that bit sharper, that bit harder. It is just mega. How much is it finally? Um, Do you know? I need to need to go into some notes. Cool. Have a look. Have a look. Hang on. It's not going to be cheap. Let's see if we can make a guess. I reckon one hundred and seventy-eight thousand. How much are you saying, Zog? Lower. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. In that case, I, won't, I was going to guess one hundred and eighty. However, now that Gareth has gone for one, and you told me it's like, I'm going to guess one six five. Lower, Sarah. Would you care to pitch in with a guess? Oh, I'm not sure that I should leave it to you guys as experts or not. Well, they're both wrong, so... <laughs> yeah, we're both going to say... Hardly <laughs> uh, we both just got it wrong, so... And it's less than 153, you, you Sarah, so make a guess. You can't do worse. On. Less than 153. 125. Higher. It's £142,000. Wow. Oh, that's that's actually is, a reasonable price for a lot of car. I mean, it's I mean, a lot it's, of money, it's, isn't it's it? It's a lot of car. I'm not sure yeah. how much the equivalent 911 will be, but there's a couple of things that jar about it. The interior's got too many buttons in it. The infotainment's a bit naff. And the F1 badges, you can have it in white, black, or Aston Martin green, their race car green, in matte or gloss. And the F1 logos on it are in that bright red F1. Yeah. So when you're photographing it, there's this little red blob. And when you look at it, it's like this... It's just blurred. driven through a cherry tree or something. And it's really odd, but... It looks great, and it, it's a cracking bit of kit. It's, as I've written in many places, oh, it's the car that the Vantage probably should have been to start with. Wow. Interesting, and so obvious that Aston Martin have done that because of their links with F1 now, and well done for them for doing that, because you can't do that unless you actually are in F1. Brilliant. I think it helps pull the whole brand together. Zog, what's your arrive and drive? Well, I was just struck by the announcement in the last week that Audi have uh, announced when they will be ending the development of internal combustion engine vehicles. Oh, yeah. And 2026 will be their last launch of an internal combustion engine car. So really very, very close. And that's in line with the rest of the VW group going all electric. That's really very close now. 
also looking sideways. Fiat, I think I've said 2030s when they'll release their last internal combustion engine car. 2025 for Jaguar and 2025 for Mini also. So yeah, that truck has been quite a significant little bit of news. And this is in large part down to the forthcoming Euro 7 set of emissions regulations, which the EU is developing, which Audi, along with a lot of other manufacturers, foresee is just going to make it basically impossible to develop internal combustion engine cars that will meet that new set of regulations. And so it's curtains for new ICE vehicles in Europe in the very near future. Interesting that the Volkswagen Group, VAG, have decided to lead, if you like, into, uh, uh, I would say electrolysis, into the electric world with Audi, because historically with electric vehicles, you either have a completely new brand like Tesla, or you take it from the top down, like Porsche or Jaguar. So it's surprising that they've chosen to do it with Audi and not Bentley. You know, you might have thought that they could have done Bentley or even Porsche before Audi, but they're going from the middle. And I've absolutely no doubt that it's the right move, having driven that sport back, which I don't think I've ever said how good that car really was. I think Audi can definitely do it. On the Bentley front, Gareth, Bentley has come out and said that it will be electrified only and then electric only. Like Bentley said that, you know, it will be knocking it on the head. Their announcement was a ways away, yep. a ways ago. So they've sort of led with it, but sort of fudged didn't. it a bit. I think the Audi announcement hits yep. a little harder because there are so many Audis. We all see an Audi pretty yep. much every day. Just look out your window, there will be a Audi. Less so Bentley, unless you live in a very swish bit of town. Yeah. Can you remember if Bentley put some likely timetable on that, or were they a bit vague about the timing of those developments? Let me just use the internet very quickly. While you're looking, I would suggest that because VAG, didn't they recently shuffle about the ownership of Bentley? It was primarily a VAG company, but now I believe Bentley is run by Audi within the VAG group, which means any decisions that Audi make from now on will have a knock-on effect for Bentley. So I reckon that could bring Bentley's electrification and then complete electrolysis. I'm going to say that. I know it's the wrong word. More forward than it was originally planned. So Bentley's first electric vehicle is coming in 2025. That's their first one. This is using, according to Autocar, from the 8th of December 2020 by a lovely James Atwood, will be one of the first cars to use a new cutting edge Audi developed luxury car platform spearheading a series of radical new models and then Bentley will only sell battery electric vehicles from 2030. Wow. So after Audi has shifted, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Wow. The companies that don't make that move pretty soon are just going to be left behind. This is the way the tide is flowing. You've got to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. There is no alternative. One interesting little thing though that I also found out in looking into this, those regulations, the Euro 7 regulations, they're still being thrashed out, they're still being developed, but there's quite a lot of stuff in there about real-time monitoring of vehicle emissions and also of enabling systems whereby the car's electronic systems will switch a vehicle into a zero emissions mode in certain areas. So one interesting part of this has to do with a lot more exchange of data between your vehicle and some kind of public infrastructure that could be monitoring and even taking some degree of control over your vehicle. Wow, that's intriguing. That's an interesting way to go with regulations that I can see makes a lot of sense, 
And it could, for example, make a lot of MOT testing, you know, emissions testing easier or could even allow you to do some of that without going to an MOT station. But it clearly also raises some issues around data protection, anonymity and things like that, which I'm sure will be addressed as they're developing these regulations, but it's an interesting aspect of the story. Change is coming. The times, they are a-changing. Okay, in the couple of minutes we got left in this part before we have to move on, I thought I would bring and begin or arrive and drive, or what did you say it was called, Alex? It was called... Run what you brung. I will run and brung. Let's go drag racing. Well, actually, run and brung is kind of appropriate for what I am going to talk about, which is IndyCar. I don't know if you guys bother watching IndyCar. I do it as a kind of a parachute, you know, a come down from Formula One. Yeah, I did see it. I did see it yesterday. Did you watch it? Well, I didn't watch it. Di- oh, well, I, I wouldn't say I watched it diligently, but as you say, sort of comes down from Formula One. It was on in the background after the Formula One finished. The Road America race, yeah. And we just sort of got on with our afternoon and it was just there in the background. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I watched it intimately, but I did see it. It's great, though, that Sky F1 are now actually flagging up that they're carrying IndyCar. Ted, in his notebook, said, oh, and stay tuned because IndyCar's coming up. Romain Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen Mm. are racing there now, sort of building that strong link between the two motor racing series. Because I remember in the days of A1 Grand Prix, you weren't allowed to mention any other motor racing series above the one that you were broadcasting in. So A1 GP could almost never mentioned Formula One. We weren't supposed to mention GP2 either. Could mention Formula Three, and you might come out in passing, but as presenters, we weren't allowed to mention it. And of course, in Bernie's day, Bernie would have wrapped you over the knuckles for mentioning anything other than Formula One during a Formula One broadcast. And I'm pleased that this sort of interdependency is more alive now because it's always been that way. You know, we've had some truly gifted drivers come over to Formula One from IndyCar historically Jacques Villeneuve Alex Zanardi some have done well some haven't and of course it's gone the other way and I'm really pleased that Romain Grosjean as they call him in IndyCar now is doing well he got a fifth at the Road America race didn't he Sarah he finished fifth and at one point Kevin Magnussen was leading the race. He was filling in in the Arrow McLaren car. Uh, he was only leading the race because he was kind of out of sequence with pit stops. But he had to be in a position to be leading. He was in a good position. And he's got a truly massive beard now. He looks more like a Viking. Yeah, I was just going to comment on that. Yeah, he does. He does look very different with that big beard. He's the most Viking looking Formula One. Sorry, IndyCar driver. <laughs> Uh, Ever. I miss Magnuson's beard. I did watch the highlights of the race. And yeah, like I said, it was great to see Grosjean doing well. And he had a difficult qualifying, but did very well in the race to, yep. as you say, get up to fifth. Didn't he come second in one of the races earlier in the year? He skipped a couple of the oval races, but I think he came second at the Indianapolis GMR Grand Prix of Indianapolis, perhaps. Is that where I started May? I don't think so. No, maybe in one of the practice sessions, possibly. But I don't think he's finished higher than fifth anywhere in the race results. We're going to have to look that up. I'm tempted to make a very hefty bet on this with you. Hang on. Uh, really? Uh, yeah, I must I have missed that yeah, then. Let me, let me double check. Okay. But he seemed noticeably happy. This is where I was very, very pleased. He was so smiley 
after the race and still so very French. He hasn't quite been Americanized yet, despite the fact that he raced for a very American team in Formula One. Haas for, was it three years he was with Haas? He hasn't been Americanized because it happens to pretty much every driver who goes into IndyCar, whether you're British or French or New Zealand or Australian or Canadian, you always end up sounding like one of the good old boys. It just happens because it's a whole culture thing and it's hard not to say things in the correct accent. Go on, Zog, have you looked up the result? Uh, yeah, he did. He came second. Get the heck out of here. Really? The GMR Grand Prix of Indianapolis. Yeah, this is when they were on the Indy circuit, yeah. the road circuit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, early May this year. I missed that. Well, that's amazing. So, yeah, it's terrific to see him thriving in his new series. Good for him. Yeah, we wish him well. And if you're looking for some good motorsport entertainment, I really can recommend IndyCar. It's easy to watch. F1 Super Sub Nico Hulkenberg finally tied the knot this week as he married his long-standing girlfriend, Lithuanian fashion designer Agla Ruskita. Speaking on the couple's happy day, the new Mrs. Hulkenberg said, Oh yeah, I'm thrilled to have married Nico. He really was the best choice, particularly as Stoffel Van Dorn and Daniel Kvyat were unavailable this weekend. Oh... This is Gareth Jones on Speed, but you knew that already because you made the choice to download this podcast and you probably make the choice to watch Formula One as well. I don't know if you watch it live like those of us who bother to subscribe to Sky. I'm sure some of you probably watch it on a stream, possibly illegal, possibly not. And oh, you could, of course, watch the highlights on Channel 4. You could, of course, just listen to it on the radio. But either way, did you follow the French Grand Prix at Le Castellet? Alex, I'm going to ask you first because I know your answer is probably not at all, correct? I saw lots of people complain about it on Twitter. What were they complaining about? One person doesn't like Paul Ricard because all the colours give them a headache. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Honestly. They've got a point, though, actually. I like it. The colours, stripes, it's big and bold and sort of visually exciting and dynamic and makes all those enormous runoff areas look quite attractive. But I can imagine that it might give somebody a headache. It's a good look, Sarah, isn't it? It's not like any other circuit. Well, I don't mind it, actually. But even with the trophies at the end of the race, they had the sort of big, colourful, red, blue, white gorillas. Yeah, it's this very original kind of theme. (laughs) Those trophies were created by a French artist and sculptor called Richard Orlinsky. I looked it up because they are unique, although it's not the first time we've seen them because they had them as the trophies for the French Grand Prix a couple of years ago, the last time F1 was at Le Castellet. And they're extraordinary. I would describe them as geodesic gorillas. It's almost like a wireframe drawing of a gorilla. There are lots of triangular qualities to it. And they do them in the trickle of colours, don't they? You get one in red, white, and blue. You get one in white, one in blue, one in red. And they look heavy. Did you notice the way that they were wielding them around at the end of the race? Those trophies are clearly some weight. And I think if you win a Formula One race, you want a good, heavy trophy to show for it, don't you? (laughs) 
That's right. All the weight you've taken out of the cars, you put into the trophy. Maybe that's the idea. <laughs> Yes. But is the gorilla a Paul Ricard sort of logo or mascot or something? There must be a reason why the gorillas. I don't know. I know that Olinsky has done balls in the past. He sort of does wild animals. That's his shtick. That's his thing. And a gorilla does, with its arms above its head, rather look like someone celebrating. So it'd be an appropriate trophy for uh, win. As to whether it's a symbol for Paul Ricard, I don't think so. I found a thing that's a vague explanation of why a gorilla. Good, good. Well googled. Go on then. The Focus.news. In Olinsky's biography, it states that he is inspired by the wildest animals and iconic objects that have marked their generation. Yep. Orlinsky's sculptures are largely of wild animals and Orlinsky has two good sculptures, Wild Kong and Wild Kong Oil. These are based on King Kong. Oh. The trophy design displayed at the French Grand Prix is modelled on the Wild Kong oil sculpture. Instead of holding an oil Ooh. barrel above his head, Kong holds a Pirelli tyre. Cool. Ah, oh, So go. there you are. It's just because he likes... King Kong. Gorillas. Yep, that's his stick. That's good. <laughs> Reason why, King Kong. That works for me. I'm all right with that. Yeah, we love King Kong. The race itself was good, although not so good for Yuki Tsunoda, who put it in the wall during Q1. I'm wondering if Yuki... Sarah, what's your view on this? Do you think... It might be a season early for Tsunoda in Formula One. He's making a lot of mistakes, isn't he? Well, where did they pluck him out from, Formula Two? Is that right? He was in F2 and he was quick Mm. as anything in F2. I don't remember him being as crashy and as disastrous in F2. Do you think it is too early for him to be in Formula One? Well, he could learn a thing or two if he was demoted because a driver like Pierre Gasly has proven that when he got dropped from Red Bull down to Alpha Tauri. Yeah. And he's really performing for Alpha Tauri and showing his worth. And Alpha Tauri are now in the top driver standings. I think they're fourth or fifth in the Constructors' Championship. Maybe a fourth might be a bit of a stretch, but definitely fifth. And that's all down to Gasly, isn't it? Because yeah. I think Sonoda's put them there, is he, bless him? Well, he's making a lot less errors. Yeah, he's very quick to know, he is, but he's one of those drivers who's quick or crash. But is it Dieter Matasish or was it, um, who's the head of Alpha Tauri? Who manages the Alpha Tauri team? My brain has stalled for a minute. Helmut. Marco. Helmut. Marco, yeah. Helmut, Helmut Marco. Marco. I think it was Helmut Marco who said that Tsunoda was impetuous and stubborn at the moment. They've just moved him from Britain to Italy where they can keep an eye on him they're trying to sort of caress him into shape and I think they're struggling a little bit but we need a Japanese driver in Formula One we say you know he's been crashing and looks like he's struggling but he has also shown real flashes of huge potential yeah you know his first race he managed to um he led one of the practice sessions uh, well I mean he was the very first practice session he came out in Actually, no, in the first qualifying session, sorry, he was second quickest, I think. Yeah, we've discussed that on the show, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not by the end of the session, but he scored points in his first race, didn't he? He did, Uh, yes. So, you know, I think if you're scoring points in your first race in an Alpha Tauri as a rookie, that's clearly a sign of potential. But he is also clearly having a lot of trouble unlocking that potential and really getting the best out of himself and the car and I'm sure that's something that the right kind of coaching can help him with. He reminds me of Groschon who is another example of sort of fast or crash you know he was occasionally really brilliant but often a bit crashy. 
In the meantime, he wasn't the only one to spin. Schumacher also hit the barrier. Mick Schumacher, who is having a tricky time at Haas, to be fair. I wish him well. But you just can't tell whether he's anything like the talent his father was when you put him in a car like the Haas. It's like putting him in a straitjacket and asking him to swim three kilometres. You know, it's going to be tricky. And you also don't have a very good point of comparison because Mazepin's so useless. Yeah. Good stuff that happened in the race. The fight between Mercedes, Sarah, and Red Bull at the moment couldn't be any closer, could it? No, you're absolutely right. I think Red Bull are really showing that they've got a lot of potential to win the championship, and so does Max Verstappen. And they put it down to strategy of the race as to why Red Bull won. So Max Verstappen was able to gain on Hamilton and their different decisions around pit stops and things like that. So it was a very interesting race. And I think it's proving to be, because of that, quite a good season. And yep. if, if I can make a comment on McLaren too, really great that they sort of did a you know fifth and sixth finish because they're now outright third in the constructors title. And that's really exciting too, I think. Yeah, we welcome that. We want them to do well. We love the McLarens. And it was also good that when they had that strong weekend that Ricardo was able to be up there and was right behind Norris at the end. We didn't have Ricardo a couple of places back from Norris, which we've seen too much of this season. So, yeah, it looks like Ricardo is maybe getting on top of the car at last. I tell you what was really nice. Some of the restrictions on wearing face masks in the paddock at Le Castellet were rescinded. And so we actually saw Daniel Ricciardo's massive smile in the interviews after the race. Rather than wearing a mask, we saw his big grin, which was really welcome back in Formula One. The person, Sarah, who would most agree with you regarding strategies at Mercedes and Red Bull, you know, Red Bull getting it right, Mercedes getting it wrong, was Valtteri Bottas, who during the final stages of the race got a bit sweary on the radio and said, why does no one listen to me when I said it was a two-stopper in hell? Yeah. Unusually sweary and absolutely right. They should have gone for a two-stopper, shouldn't they? Well, yes. He doesn't usually lose his cool like that. It was a rare moment of Bottas in a flat. But yeah, yeah, yeah. On this occasion, he was right about the strategy, I think. Yeah, if they could have done better. Yeah. I think Bottas behind closed doors probably does lose his cool quite a lot. I get the feeling that he does. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. If Kimi is the Iceman, I reckon Bottas must be frosty, you know, a bit edgy sometimes. One of my big takeaways from the weekend, uh, just going off on another tangent, was looking at Red Bull. It really looks like Perez and... Verstappen are working very well together and they seem to have a good working relationship as well as Perez being able to deliver for the team in terms of backing Verstappen up during the race and actually finishing where he should rather than finishing a couple of places back from Red Bull will likely to finish and I think that Red Bull really have it together this season and it's going to be a great battle. Having said that, Zoggy, yeah. during Ted's notebook, the Red Bull team all gathered in front of one of Odlinski's massive sculptures for the winning team photograph. And everyone was very, very happy right across the whole team. You know, they were all there, both sides of the garage. However, body language gives a great deal away. And Sergio Perez, as he came over to join them for the picture, had one hand in his pocket... And his whole demeanour was a bit 
subdued. Really? And mm. I'm wondering what all that was about. You'd think he's like, I've done my bit for the team. We've all done well. Look at this. Happy. I'm in a happy winning team. But there was something going on there. I don't know if he's got some personal thing in his life or he's been told, look, we've signed you for next year, but only half of what we're paying now or what. But there was definitely something a bit damp down there. Why is Perez not as happy as he deserves to be at Red Bull? That's the question I want to know the answer to. Well, yeah, well, I didn't see that moment. I would have thought he'd be quite chuffed given the fact he's getting so many podiums. I mean, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> he looked like a very happy chap to me in all the post race stuff that I saw. But like I say, but I didn't see that moment, Gareth, so, so who knows? But yeah, I, I think they're working very well. And that bodes well for a, a really good battle with Mercedes throughout the rest of the season. Because, you know, this weekend we had basically one mistake apiece. And so. Verstappen and Hamilton end up finishing where they started on the grid. Yeah. Verstappen threw it away at the start and then Mercedes' strategy error in the end cost them the race at the end. So actually, strictly speaking, it's a Mercedes error rather than a Hamilton error. The finest moment at the whole weekend, though, aside from the motor racing, sort of outside the motor racing for me, was when they played the anthem for the winners on the podium. Instead of having taped music, they had an actual, real, live brass band play the anthem. And it was actually the band of the French Foreign Legion. How cool is that? And I did feel for them because, in theory... They would have had to have learnt the anthems for, I don't know what, 14 countries represented in Formula One, something like that. In reality, the chances are it's only going to be one of four nations who are going to win. I wouldn't mind betting that they didn't bother to learn the Japanese national anthem. (laughs) Or the Russian. Or the Russian, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, they know the French one. They have to brush up on the British national anthem and possibly the Finnish one, just to be on the safe side, of course. Can't rule that out. And Mexican, just to be on the safe side, because he won the last race, you know. It's a tricky game. You can see why they do taped music for that reason. But proper musicians can learn, or at least have the music music on that little music stand on their corners as they parp away i'm all for like keep music live zog come on keep music live keep music programmed since rule and talking about live the silverstone british grand prix as we wrap this up i believe is going to have a live audience this year they're having oh really i don't know how many people are going to be let in but they are letting people in and on that i reckon we ought to offer the Gareth Jones on Speed Band as the band to play the anthems live for them. They'll have a punk rock version of God Save the Queen. In fact, that's exactly what I do. If Lewis won and it was time to play God Save the Queen, I'd play God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. That'll teach him. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to write to whoever runs Silverstone and ask him if we can play. Worth a shot. Dear Mr. Silverstone, (laughs) me and my friends have a band and we think we'd be really good. We're going to play a really good, solid, not in any way rebellious version of the National Anthem should Lewis Hamilton win. Hugs and kisses, Gareth and his band. (laughs) There you go. That's verbatim exactly what I would have written. Of course they'll go. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed with Zog. Goodbye. With Alex Goy. Bye. With Sarah Leach. Goodbye. And me, Gareth. Another race this weekend. Enjoy it. And we'll see you for another on speed in a fortnight. Bye. Say bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye
to send us an email. See pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!